Hey Rebels, welcome to another edition of Rebel Parenting. I'm your host, Ryan Dobson, joined by my wife, Laura. What have we got today? A great program. Of course we do. I talk about perspective a lot on the program. Changing your perspective can change your life. It can give you new insight, a new understanding, a new connection, more community. And our broadcast today is with a woman named Lauren Casper. We had so much fun talking to Lauren. She's got a great book called It's Okay About It. It's okay about it. Now, if that sounds a little off to you, it did to me and I couldn't quite understand it. I was reading through the book and finally I get it. This is the whole title. It's okay about it. Lessons from a remarkable five-year-old about living life wide open. That's the second part. Living life wide open. Being free in the beauty that is our faith in Jesus Christ. This is going to be a remarkable program. It's going to give you so much insight into people, let you understand them more, let you communicate better and have that bond with those around you. I am so excited for that. Don't forget Rebel Live every Monday and Friday, facebook.com slash Dobson, 8 Pacific, 11 Eastern, because that's what we do. We are getting good stuff going on. And if you'd like Laura and I to come to your church or your home, your area, we are doing the Rebel Tour in May and June 2018. May, June 2018, Myself, Laura, Lincoln Cash, Lucy Rose, all on the road, helping out parents, helping out marriages. Let's jump into the program with Lauren Casper on today's edition of Rebel Parenting. Lauren, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be on here. When we got this book, I remember it came in the mail and I read the title and I said, it's okay about it. And I read it again and I was like, um... What? I read it again. It's it's okay about it. Lessons from a remarkable five-year-old about living life wide open. Mm. First, thank you for coming on the broadcast. We so appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad we get a chance to talk. Oh, Mm -hmm. me too. And also, I want to thank you. You're really vulnerable in this book. You've shared a personal Mm. story in hopes that it will help other people. And for Laura and I and our producer, Kristen, it's already ministered to us. And so I'm so excited to jump into it. But the title is a little bit different. So (laughs) jump into it. Let's hear your story. How did you come up with It's Okay About It? Mm -hmm. Well, funny story about the title. That is not the original one um, that I had envisioned for the book. Um, And it's not the title attached to the book when my agent shopped it out to publishers. The original uh, title of the book was actually what um, ended up being the title of chapter one, which is Watch Out for Diesel 10. Mm -hmm. Um, I just thought that was, uh, it would just really grab you right away. Right. Um, And it was the most common phrase my son was saying at the time was Watch Out for Mm -hmm. Diesel 10. And so I just, that naturally felt really good to me. But um, from a marketing standpoint, when you mm. Google watch out for Diesel Ken, oh. all that pops up is Thomas the Tank Engine episode. <laughs> of course it does. Of course. Yeah. Yes. So not great for shopping or marketing a book. So, mm. <laughs> um, so they thought, you know, we should probably rethink that title. And um, it's okay about it was originally going to be chapter one. And so my editor said, uh, Thomas Nelson just said, what if we swap those and you made your intro more, it's okay about it. And that was the title of the book. And you go deeper into watch out for diesel 10 in chapter mm-hmm. one. And it fit really nicely. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that she 
had that wisdom and that insight because um, the heart behind It's Okay About It, and every chapter title, I should add, is a phrase that my son, uh, Murato, says. So Murato is now almost seven, but at the time I wrote the book, he was five years old. Mm -hmm. And he has sometimes a different way of um, expressing his thoughts, and so the phrases can be really quirky right out of the gate sometimes, um, which is why you read it several times. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, so every chapter title is a different phrase of his, and the book title is no different. But the the heart behind It's Okay About It, I feel like really encapsulates the message of the whole book Mm -hmm. in a way that I didn't understand um, right at the get-go before I had finished writing it. And so um, it was just really great wisdom on the part of my editor to make that swap. And now I'm not mixed up with Thomas the Tank Engine movies. So So tell us about Murado. Tell us how you adopt. I mean, you've got two adoptions from Ethiopia. How did this come about? And then tell us about Murado's story Mm -hmm. and your little girl too. Yes. So, um... My husband and I have been married for um, 12 years this weekend, actually. And Congratulations. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So um, when we first got married, we were really excited to start building a family right away. Mm-hmm. And because we were young and naive, we just assumed that would happen right when we wanted it to, exactly how we wanted it to. And that was not our story. Um, we struggled um, with infertility for several years, we um, in that time had two miscarriages, and then went through the whole uh, battery of tests mm. that they put you through. And I'm sorry, which, we I know that struggle. So mm-hmm. I, any moms out there listening, oh, our hearts go out to you. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a battle um, emotionally and mm-hmm. spiritually and physically. So yeah. um, it, it was a really really hard time for me personally and for my husband personally, it ended up being a really sweet, precious time in our marriage. And I know that's not always the case for every Mm -hmm. couple. And my heart goes out to them because I I get it. I get how it would be a a stumbling block in your marriage. For some reason, the grace of God, um, it really pulled us close together and made us an even stronger unit, Mm -hmm. which I think um, was such a great foundation for us when we decided to move toward adoption. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You went through the fire already. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. Mm. So, um, we found out we'd been married two and a half years when we finished the fertility testing and found out that biological children really weren't possible for us. And a few months later, we signed up to become foster parents in our county, and we had twin two-year-old boys for a little while, hmm. and they were amazing, and the experience was ex- like being just thrown into the frying pan for sure. But hmm. Um, it was an amazing, hard, wonderful, brutal experience, and um, they went home, and we took a little break because I was pretty heartbroken at that point. We lost our mm. first two children through miscarriages, and then we lost, even though we knew going into it, we would say goodbye eventually to these children. It's still a deep, deep loss. Mm, yeah. um, so oh. I went through some medical trials of my own for about a year and a half after that and when I got into a better place with my health I um, 
we just really felt pulled toward adoption because uh, we talked and prayed about going back into foster care. Mm-hmm. And the phrase that I gave my husband was, I just, I feel like I've had to say goodbye to every mm-hmm. child he ever loved. And I just really want to keep the next one. <laughs> so um, we felt like adoption was the right path at that point. And that um, was a lot of conversation and deliberation and prayer because there's so many options Mm -hmm. with that too. I mean, you could domestic or international, if you go international, which country, you know, it's so many choices to be made. Um, But God very clearly led us each step of the way and we were really seeking him and he led us to Ethiopia for Mm -hmm. some reason. And our um, first adoption was uh, for Morato. And so we brought him home about a year and a half later, and he was only five months old when he came home, which is kind of unheard of. for Ethiopia. Yeah, Yeah, we have two um, in our family adopted from Ethiopia also. So we're with you on that one. Very young for Mm -hmm. an international adoption. Um, And he was very, very sick. Uh, When we got his referral, when we were matched with him, we knew that. And then when he came home, he was still pretty sick. But... um, Mm. He, he really thrived. He just began to really thrive once he came home. He started gaining a ton of weight. He's a very big boy. He's four foot five at six years old. So we're, uh, we're getting ready for a super tall uh, young wow. man. Especially for Ethiopian. <laughs> he's yeah. four and a half feet tall and he's six. Seven. Yeah. Seven. Yeah. Well, he's six right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, seven. Whoa. Yeah. See, we have the yeah. opposite. Our Lucy is like... <laughs> in the who knows what percentile but she's a ten, little tiny ten one. Percent like, wait a minute your son's taller than my son my son's 10 oh my goodness that's yeah. amazing wow yeah he's like the 150th percentile or something like that it's way off the chart and then my daughter is like your daughter she's mm. the like 10th percentile <laughs> tiny. they're so funny because they're only a year and a half apart in age but if they stand next to each other it looks like they're like four years apart in age <laughs> Oh, oh man. But yeah, so um so yeah, he really began to thrive when he came home. Um and then right around fifteen between fifteen and eighteen months of age, um, he started to regress and show signs of a lot of um struggle and delay and um we went through quite the journey with testing and seeking answers and doctor's appointments. And eventually that led to him being diagnosed um, as autistic just three weeks before his second birthday, which is very early for an autism diagnosis. But that just gives you a hint into how severe his um, the signs were for him at that age. Um, and so we started early intervention, which is such a gift, and mm. got him right into therapy. And he has um, just blossomed into such an incredible little boy. And mm. um, he has taught us so much about life and about ourselves. And I think one of the greatest gifts for me with him has been to to um, enter into his world rather than forcing him into oh. mine. Oh, I love that and, distinction. And and through that, he teaches me about life and shows me a new way of seeing things. And it's just been such a great gift. Mm. 
Lauren, let me ask, when you talk to doctors, is is mm-hmm. his behavior typical just early? Is this kind of something that parents see where their kids going along, seems like they're doing well, and then a regression starts? Or was this kind of uh, out of the ordinary, they say? No, it was it was pretty typical. There's different, there are different, um, well, you know, autism is a spectrum. So there's yeah. a wide range. Um, but there is something called regressive I think I'm getting that right, regressive autism. And that is the typical thing is that around that age, kids start to regress. Um, However, he's kind of a mix of regressive and classic autism because once we started learning about autism, we, um, because I was very uneducated when we got this diagnosis, I had to dive in really and learn a lot. We started going, Oh, that makes mm. it like stuff he was doing as a baby that I just never would have uh, realized. Oh, so it was sense. there from day one. We just, you know, first didn't time parents it. didn't know what we were doing. Yeah, didn't see it. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. 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 Um, and then let's talk about the journey. You know, you found out, uh, how do you pronounce your daughter's name? Arsema. 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 So you were getting ready to adopt Arsema when you found out, uh, Marteo is on the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, what's that been like as for their relationship? You know, mm. you've got, it's not just having a baby come, you know, you could have a baby right. and then you've got obviously the time to prepare during gestation, all those different things. And, and that, but you've got someone coming in that you don't really know very well. And how does that work? Yeah. How did you prepare as a family? What are, you know, I mean, we've got families listening. There's so many listeners out there that have someone on the spectrum, either with Asperger's or autism mm. somewhere. How do you wade through that? Well, we really didn't have a lot of time. So our <laughs> journey is probably not typical of most other people. And I think that's been an uh, unexpected gift for us. Mm, So we, um, our daughter was actually on the waiting child list. So we were not actually waiting for a child in Ethiopia. Our paperwork was actually in Ghana (laughs) at the time. And um, we saw her on a waiting child list and just knew she was Mm. meant to be ours. So we switched all our paperwork over and, um, and that was in June. And we first, oh, so her court date tomorrow is five years to the day since we met her. Wow. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, so that, so it was mid June when we first saw, saw her file and said, yeah, that's our girl. We're going for it. And, um, we traveled, you know, six weeks later to, to go to Ethiopia. So, Today, five years ago today, is the day that um, we first heard Morato might be autistic. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Wow. So, yeah. So, we were waiting. um, Oh, I guess, actually, we were on a plane today, five years. So, yesterday. Five years ago yesterday is when we first heard. So, um, we were given a referral to see a speech therapist and uh, because he wasn't talking and he was almost two. And that was sort of step one in several okay. things that were coming up. And at that point in time, we hadn't, we didn't know anything about autism, hadn't heard that word in relation to our son. So we still had no clue what was going on with him. And at the end of this um, evaluation with the speech therapist to see if he needed therapy or not, um, 
there were several therapists in there. It was like two hours, and um, the therapist who's kind of in charge of everything, she was kind of giving us a debrief, and she said, oh, and you also need to go see this doctor for an evaluation because he shows several signs of ASD. And we, this is how uneducated we were. <laughs> What's ASD? Like, yeah, we what? really didn't know what anything about it. And she said, oh, autism spectrum I wouldn't have known disorder. either. Oh, right. Okay, good. That makes me feel better because I'm like, oh, oh no. And, and I got to be yeah. just a little bit flippant to just kind of throw that out there. But like, oh, hey, by the way, you need to get tested for this because right. you might be autistic. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> Let's not just drop that grenade in the midst of our family in the middle of this. Like, you're a speech <laughs> therapist. Like, mm-hmm. wait a minute. That, that's a little rough bedside manner. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was it was very blunt, and actually, her name's Danielle. Danielle is very blunt, and she ended up being our son's speech therapist. And it was mm-hmm. the best thing for us because she pulled no punches. She yeah. always just told us straight, yeah. "This is how it is, and this is what you need to be doing." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, "Okay, okay, we'll do it." But yeah, it was, um, and for us not knowing her, it was kind of a big, big shock. And I, I just remember feeling like the the wind had been knocked out of me, mm-hmm. and I turned around to look at my husband John, and his face was turning bright red and splotchy, which always means he's trying not to cry. And I was just like, what are we going to do? And we got in the car and my mind's going a mile a minute because I know we have a flight to Ethiopia the very next day. And we've got our son in the back seat. And I'm thinking, what? And my husband is the one who just kind of calmed me down and said, we're, there's nothing that we can do about this right now. We just need to take life Mm. one day at a time. So today, (laughs) <laughs> we're going to go home and we're going to pack. That's what we're going to do today. Mm-hmm. And tomorrow we're going to get on a plane and then we're going to go spend the week with our daughter. And when we get home, this will be waiting for us. Yeah. We can't fix it right now. And that is kind of, he just set the tone for honestly life since then, because that's what we did. And not that it's not tempting for me sometimes to leap ahead and get scared. But when I keep in mind, we're just doing, we can only do one thing at a time. Um, that really helps. And so we got on the plane, we met our daughter, it was amazing, and we came back home to wait for her visa, and it was in that in-between time that he was diagnosed um, with autism. And then three weeks later, he turned two, and the week after that, I got on a plane to go back and get our daughter. So there was a very, there wasn't a lot of prep time mm-hmm. in there to really uh, manage, but I will tell you, and, and anybody that's listening that's you know, been there with a child and having an, and, and been afraid of having another child. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when, when he first got his diagnosis with that doctor, um, we told him, you know, we're bringing a baby home sometime soon. We didn't at that point know exactly when, because you never know until like the day before, you know, then they say, come get her. Um, and you're like, oh, it's go time. So, um, so we, I, I just was really honest and said, I'm afraid for what this means. And really where my fear was lying was in myself, not in my kids. My, mm-hmm. my fear was all wrapped up in, can I be a good enough mom? Can I be the mom each of them needs? Mm-hmm. And I didn't think I could at the time. I was so overwhelmed with the needs of my son and that this was a forever thing. This wasn't something that he was going to take a pill for six weeks and then be fine, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was just really overwhelmed with that. And then our daughter had special needs. And at the time, we didn't know what that would look like in our day-to-day life. Um, and so I, my fear was wrapped up in, can I be what my son needs? And can I be what my daughter needs? I, I don't see how I can be 
there for both of them. And I just felt a lot of guilt. And, um, so I had total meltdown. I just completely bawled my eyes out on Mm -hmm. my sister's living room floor and my mom and my sister comforted me. And that was very good for me. And there is no shame in that. I think that it's important to be honest about feeling overwhelmed sometimes because life can really be overwhelming sometimes for sure we love that here at uh, rebel parenting we really encourage the moms just that you know to get off the guilt it's okay to have meltdowns it's okay to be where you're at and let people love you and be with you in it and and get up and go again (laughs) absolutely absolutely don't stay on the living room floor yeah there if you need to and then get up yeah absolutely well you might find what you need you might find the strength when you're on the floor our mentors always say like if we're crying we'll cry harder you know yeah. like just go in meet that pain head on and see what resource is there yeah absolutely I completely agree with that um such good wisdom there yeah cry harder I love that um so yeah so I was honest with our son's doctor and I said I, I'm afraid do you have do you have any insight and uh, it was such a gift he had a teenage son on the spectrum and he also had two children and he said I'll tell you what your daughter is going to be such a gift to your son Aww. because siblings pull these children out of themselves and help them engage the world mm. and I it that's exactly what happened I mean she is um 20 months younger than him. So she was also five months old when she came home. I don't know how that happened. It just happened. I'm like, I don't know how this happened for us twice, but it did. So she was an infant, you know, when she came home. But um, immediately they had this extremely strong bond and connection when we Mm. brought her – when, so John and Maranta were waiting, you know, at the end of the gate at the airport, and I came off the plane with Arsema, and he immediately was touching her face, Aww. kissing her head, and just felt very close to her, and he really didn't have any speech, but he was just touching and looking, Connected. and loved mm-hmm. her, yes, and so I gave, we got home, gave her a bath, and put her in the bassinet <laughs> in our room, and shut the door, and he sat in the hallway with his face against our bedroom door, just crying for her, and that really set the stage for their relationship. It's kind of been that way ever since. I mean, they're still siblings. Right. They have Don't, yeah, sure. Of course. It's not perfect here. Yeah. Yeah. But they do have a remarkably strong connection that other people comment on. Like, yeah, wow, they can see it. Very close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's been so such precious. a gift. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. I'm tearing up. I want to meet your kids. Oh. <laughs> I know. Oh. So great. Oh. Lauren, in... In um, special needs community, it's similar to um, elderly or infirm or long-term illness. There's a lot of abuse. Mm. Um, It's just out there. And I'm going to say something that's going to sound controversial. I understand it. I don't excuse it, but I'm a parent and I get frustrated. And it feels so personal. You know... um, I went through, um, I have an autoimmune disease and I went through a health scare a few years ago and they put me on a steroid that messed up my sleep. And so I was sleeping at weird hours. I started going to the supermarket at like two, three o'clock in the morning because I didn't have anything else to do. Mm. And I realized who goes to the supermarket at three in the morning. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's people that don't want to be seen. Mm-hmm. And I find 
you see um, adult Down syndrome people with their parents and mm -hmm. kids with autism and kids with Asperger's and kids that oh. act out and people that are morbidly obese. And I it just opened my eyes to this whole new world. How do you stay present when it's just so frustrating? Being a parent is hard. Like we were talking to yeah. Paul Tripp the other day. Universally, it doesn't matter race, what religion, culture, religion, yeah. culture money, oh, yeah. where you live. Parenting's really hard. Mm -hmm. It's harder for you. It really is. It's harder for you. Yeah. It's harder for people with kids with special needs. How do you stay present to mm -hmm. not let the anger or not cross those lines because we all do as parents yeah. but how do we stay yeah. present to not go down that road too far not too many holes in the doors yeah. right <laughs> right it's yeah. real. the struggle's real yeah that, i mean that is and i have so my heart goes out to these parents who just feel like they're drowning mm -hmm. and i think it's there's so many reasons for that um for mm -hmm. the abuse that you said you you understand it you don't condone it and and i i'm the same way i i see where that comes from and i think one of the biggest things is a lack of support yes um and that breaks my heart because mm -hmm. you just think what if somebody was there for that family what what would have been different for the whole family mm -hmm. um so for me and everybody's different but yeah. for me um i i have to force myself to be honest and vulnerable with the people who love me because it's not easy for me to let people into my heart. Um, and mm. I've learned that the hard way when we were going through our infertility struggles, I didn't let anybody into that. And it, it destroyed me, um, yeah. because I didn't, I, I mean, I remember talking to my mom, um, years later and she said something like, I just never really got that that was how hard it was for you because you never said anything and it sh I wouldn't let people see that side because I just didn't know how and I was I honestly it's, it's there's it's fear-based you're afraid yeah. of rejection you're afraid of being misunderstood or judged um or being a and, burden or an inconvenience right, or right, am I really complaining one more yeah. time to this person and that's what I want to say to the to the listeners out there, to the rebels out there. If you know somebody who has a special needs child or sibling or parent or someone with long-term illness or something like that, the probability of them asking you for help is about zero. It's just right. not in our narrative to think, oh, hey, I got to get a list of people that can start a meal train for me and I need some help with house cleaning and I need – because we don't do that as right. – whatever westerners yeah. christians adult i mean who knows so if you know somebody hey bring a meal over freeze it bring it over yeah don't just, ask just don't bring ask. it just <laughs> right you know whatever it is yeah. hire a, a you know a housekeeper or something but figure out a way because it's hard to ask normally we don't do it and if you can right. if you if you've got a kid if you've if you are in need and you can learn to ask awesome but yeah. if you see yeah. somebody in need let's just act without being asked Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I completely agree. Um, it, and I had a really precious friend who during this time, right when we brought our daughter home, we were dealing with everything kind of brand new. She would just drop a Chick-fil-A 
breakfast biscuit mm. and Starbucks coffee on my porch and, and drive away and text me when mm. she was around the corner awesome. so that I oh, didn't have friend. to have, oh yeah. That's your best friend. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. I don't want to see you yeah. in my sweats or my Just pajamas or whatever, me. but I certainly want your yeah. coffee and food. Yeah, <laughs> I love exactly. it. Exactly. And she got that right away. She was like, I'm not here to burden you. I'm not here to come in and have you entertain me. I'm here. I'm, I'm leaving this gift on your porch and I'll let you know when I'm gone. I, I mean, that was so, so special to me. And she, she really loved me. And my parents at the time were only 15 minutes away and they really stepped in to support and love us. And, um, and that, that was certainly a big help, but I will say I did have to learn how to be honest with people mm. um, in a way that wasn't second nature to me. Yeah. Um, because it's so easy when people say, how are you, to just say fine and move on and rather than say, you know what, we're having a really hard week and mm. here's why. And so I had to learn how to do that. And I think that letting other people in and accepting help and having support has been um, life-changing for me. And not even just... The other thing is it's not even just the support of our family, like I need like a meal or the coffee on the porch or what a babysitter, whatever it is. Yeah. But it's the friend I found that I need the adult friendships. Mm. I I need to have people that I can just talk to. And that has been something that I've probably learned in the last three years in a way I didn't know before. Hmm. Um, I've made some really close, wonderful, precious friends um, in my, you know, in my mid thirties, which it, you know, it's so weird Not typical friends yeah. as an adult. You For know? sure. Yeah. <laughs> and it has, it has been life-changing to have these friends that can drop the kids off at school and spend 30 minutes across the street getting coffee and just sharing life with them. Um, whether they do anything about it or not, just that just that bond and that connection has been really important for me. But when you have children with special needs or you have this extra stuff in your life mm-hmm. that maybe isn't the norm, ha- making time for that feels impossible sometimes. Oh. And so that's the other thing is it's you I it's it's so cliche, but it's so true that you it's that uh airplane analogy that you can't you need to put on your oxygen mask before, first yeah. before your child's because you can't give out of what you don't have. Mm. And if you're running on empty all the time, eventually you're going to break down. Yeah. And um, you you can't. It's that sort of martyrdom parent idea, but it doesn't work for very long. You mm. can't kill yourself for your kids day after day after day. You have to take a little bit of time. And for me, I found, and I write about a little bit in the book, that for, for our family, what, what we can do is take little breaks all throughout just our normal life. We don't necessarily have the financial means or the scheduling ability uh, or the babysitter, you know, provided to go off on a big two-week vacation once a year, just John and I. You know, that's not going to be our – we're not going to go out to the lake one weekend a month. That's not happening for us. But we can take once a week, make sure that we at least have an at-home date after the Mm. kids go to bed. Or I say, you know what? I'm not working today. I can't. I'm going to go to the coffee shop with my girlfriends for an hour because that's what I need one time this week. And just to have – 
that knowledge of yourself to say, I'm going to take these little breaths all throughout the day and week and month and year rather than those big, big, big rest and retreat things that not all of us can do. Some yeah. people know that's what works. And if that's what works for you, fantastic. Like every, But I'm just all find that. something that find works for you to restore your soul. Okay, yeah. awesome. Oh, yeah. That's, so what would you say, like I have lots of friends, not lots, but I have many friends that have kids uh, that have autism. What would you say to to them to how how can we stand with them how can I know we've been kind of talking on that vein but what would be like the number one thing to help this community like let's wake the church up oh yeah well okay well let's just go there since you said let's wake the church up um I have not seen a whole lot of church families and granted my experience is very limited but I am in a pretty big autism community of writers and peoples and I hear the same the same chorus is the church doesn't support these families as a whole not every church obviously of course Um, um, but that's a big gaping hole Mm -hmm. in the church right now I think is supporting families that have special needs individuals in them and so I think that what churches and the family of God can do for one another is to maybe call a meeting and say, or just go over to someone's house with coffee and say, we want to know how, how can we as the church help your family? What are yeah. your needs? What would, what would help you be able to be come a better Sunday parent. morning? Yeah. What would help you be able to be comfortable coming to fellowship events? Yeah. What would what could we do for your child to be for you to be able to sign your child up for VBS this year? Wow. What could we provide to make that happen? Um, because because there's so much beyond Sunday morning, right? That goes into yeah, church, sure. and it's hard. And um, uh, I spent a year out of church with my kids um, three years ago. My husband's um, a chaplain at the Virginia Military Institute, and because it's a state-run school, they can't have childcare. Um, because if anything happened, and you know, um, so I would sit in the lobby of the chapel with my kids every single Sunday because mm-hmm. my son couldn't sit through the service, and there was nothing for to. There was no Sunday school, no children's service. There was nothing. And after about. I don't know, six to eight months of this, I kept going, why am I even making the effort to get out of the house and just sit in the lobby alone? This is pointless. So I just stayed home. And after, after a year I was withering, Mm -hmm. I just couldn't do it. And so we just kind of made a family decision that we would find a church for me and the kids to go to until the day came when we could all worship together as a family. Nice. Mm. And I emailed, I picked three churches locally, and I emailed the pastors of those three churches and explained our family and our unique situation. And uh, two pastors responded to me, and one was very honest. His church was pretty new, and he was like, I'm just going to be honest with you about what our children's ministry is like and where we're at. And he was like, we'll certainly try to meet your needs, but I just don't know. And but at least he was honest. Like, I love so that. <laughs> like, let's and be he, honest. Yeah, awesome. So and that's the and bittersweet he's actually pill. a friend you're, now. Yeah. You're kind of bummed, yeah. but you so appreciate the honesty. You're yeah. like, wow, I wish everybody exactly. would be that way. Yeah. Right? Exactly. For yeah. Sure. So, and, and wonderful people. And we're friends, you know, today. And um, so I appreciate that. And then the other pastor got back to me and said, 
I'd love to have you and the kids come visit tomorrow morning. It was like a Tuesday morning, so no one would really be there. And he was like, and um, I'll tell you that we've had several individuals on the spectrum and with varying special needs in our church. And our bottom line is whatever you need, we'll do. Wow. And I was like, well. That sounds too good to be true. That's a hero. (laughs) Totally. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, and that's where we've been for the last few years, and it's it's been such a gift, and it's so true, and the, the children's director is actually one of my closest friends um, now. I, she was new to me when we first started attending, but she, they have been true to that word. What do you need? What does Morato need? Whatever Morato needs is what we do. Amen. Oh, it's so been rad. amazing. It's been such a gift. Oh, they have a gift. special people that are in his group this summer at VBS. They had a special buddy that he knew very well and that uh, a teenage girl that he could um, have with him, move around VBS in his group with him and help him. Um, they allow him to be in a younger uh, Sunday school class because that's where he's more comfortable developmentally and his sister's with him so they allow them to stick together. I like your Um, church. I like that. That's the church. That's the real church. (laughs) And it's the fluidity of relationships. It's the fluidity of kids. It's the fluidity of people. It's not one size fits all. They're looking at your kids saying, how do we make it work for you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love it so much. Hey, yeah. you talked to your you talked about your husband a little bit. This is an interesting yeah. one for me. He's a chaplain. You were there. Uh, I know evangelicals. I know Christendom. <laughs> and for you as a couple to decide that you're gonna go to a church that your husband is not the chaplain of is a big deal. <laughs> and yeah. it could be looked down upon and people give you some pressure for that, regardless of your situation. It's so normal. It makes so much sense. It's fantastic. I want to talk about you and your husband. The divorce rate amongst couples with a special needs child is off the the charts. I mean, it is almost an impossibility. How are you staying together? How are you still? I mean, the way you talk about your husband, I know people, you're not faking it. You love each other. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, um, we do. (laughs) We do. Um, So... Yeah, that's a, that's a frightening statistic, and it's it's a heartbreaking, and it's it's like you said, it, I understand it. Mm-hmm. I it, yeah, I get why that happens. Um, I it goes back to me to our first um, five six years of marriage and the suffering that we just kind of started right out with, mm-hmm. um, but because I don't think that that's maybe typical for young married couples. I was 21 years old when we got married. I was 22 when we lost our first baby, mm-hmm. 23 when we lost our second baby, and just a few weeks shy of 24 when I found out um, we wouldn't be able to have biological kids. And so that's a lot of pain and heartache yes. at a very young age and in a short amount of time. And... Um, if we hadn't leaned on each other and leaned on God together in that way, I don't know that our marriage would have that same stability and strength because what we did during that time is Mm -hmm. we kind of unknowingly trained ourselves on how to be a couple in hardship. Yep. And it was to go move toward each other, Mm -hmm. not away, Mm -hmm. not isolate, but to just we found that strength 
together. And John uses the example of um, that like trust building exercise at camps where you, you have to stand up leaning against each other. Yes. And if you don't do that just right, you kind of go toppling totally. over. I love that. And if you don't really push hard into each other, that's the easiest way to stand up, right? Exactly. You're just pushing as pushing. hard as you can against each other. For sure. And and that's we didn't even know we were doing it, but mm. that's what we were doing it. And and because we did it, had to do it over and over and over again. Mm. Every month when it was a negative pregnancy test, yeah. In the hospital when I was having surgery and we were miscarrying, when every phone call we got yep. from every fertility specialist, I mean, it was over and over again. It, those pathways in our brains and in our hearts and our souls just were being trained. Lean into mm. each other. Lean into each other. Um, and I think that we have just trained ourselves to do that. And so that's not to say we're human beings and we're selfish by nature. So oh, for sure. we still, you know, we still are selfish at times and we can get into some stupid disagreements and some bigger just ones. Just like us all, right? We're all like human. Everybody else. But um, I think, and then when, on our wedding day, um, I, I grew up in the Lutheran church and a really popular hymn is Seek ye first the kingdom of God based off of Matthew 6.33. And we chose to sing that on our wedding day because for us that was sort of our, our anthem, how we wanted to live our marriage was to seek first the kingdom of God and just trust that everything else that we need would be given to us by mm -hmm. God. And so together that's kind of always just been what's been out in front of us is to seek God first, seek God first. And that as we're doing that, He He will provide what we need to stay married even when things get tough. Yeah. And mm -hmm. provide what we need to parent our kids and just to do life and, and all that that brings. Definitely. Lauren, it's been so great. I love this book. It's such a breath of fresh air. It's been so helpful. Really do appreciate it. Appreciate your honesty, mm -hmm. your vulnerability. Appreciate your husband, your family, and your little kids. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, Rebels, we are out of time for today. I wish we could talk to Lauren all day long. So much fun talking to her, getting a perspective about what it's like to have a kid who's a little bit outside the box, sometimes completely outside the box, and it's everywhere everywhere we see people that need a little extra help a little extra understanding here's the truth everyone needs an extra helping of grace and understanding in their life we all would love to feel understood more or appreciated more or given another helping of grace more wouldn't you like that if you'd like more grace give it to those around you and if you want a new perspective pick up this book it's called it's okay about it Lessons from a Remarkable Five-Year-Old About Living Life Wide Open. Hope you're having a great weekend, and I will see you Monday and Wednesday and Friday for Rebel Live. Facebook.com slash J. Ryan Dobson, 8 Pacific, 11 Eastern. Mondays and Fridays talking about marriage and parenting. Wednesdays we're talking about wellness Wednesdays and a good dose of marriage and parenting there too. I love doing it, and I love that you're there. God bless. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.